We're starting our new series, Too Small to Ignore, and uh, we're talking about children. We're going to be taking the next five weeks to talk about children that are right in front of you, talk about children that are on the other side of the world. We're going to be talking about what Jesus says about children. We're going to be looking at uh, some of those older children we call youth or teens and talking about how we can bring hope and inspiration to them. And uh, we're going to be looking at uh, also practical steps for families and for people like me who maybe didn't grow up with a biblical pattern and what are those steps that we can take to lead our families and uh, to give some practical hope. And so uh, I really hope that you'll stay tuned in the next few weeks. And you might kind of wonder, why are we talking about children? Why are we taking so long, so many weeks to talk about this? This is kind of crazy. Well, number one, one of our core values here at our church is passing the baton of faith and leadership to the next generation. That's a huge thing for us. The second one of our core values is that all people matter to God. And guess what? Children are people. They fit into that category. And they are important to God. And... Uh, and there are some things that really have been impressed upon my life, uh, ingrained in me over the long haul. And there's also been some recent events that have occurred in my life that have really led to this point and us talking about uh, children and those that we shouldn't ignore. And uh, one thing that wasn't mentioned, we, we're going to be having artists over here each week, and uh, they're going to be painting. And what we're going to be doing with these paintings is we hope to sell them and, or auction them and uh, use that money and give it to Soul Hope, which is a new organization that is just started by one of our members who's sitting right over here, and, uh, and to help with uh, children, orphans, and widows in um, Zambia, and help with the idea of making shoes and uh, so they can protect their feet because there are all kinds of crazy uh, diseases and things that can happen. And so uh, that's going to be going on. Also, in the back, you'll see uh, something with uh, Compassion International. How many of you sponsor a child with Compassion already or know of Compassion International? Okay, a few of you. Great, great. All right. Well, I I just want to tell you a little bit about uh, some of the recent events that have led to really taking this time to talk about um, children, uh, not just children at risk, but the children all around us. And uh, one of the things that uh, happened recently in January, when I went on a trip uh, with Compassion International and some other pastors from uh, Stadia, uh, which is the church planning organization that helped start this church, and we got together, went to Ecuador, and I was there for a week with Wes Stafford, the, the president of, of, of Compassion International. And during that time there, um, got to visit several Compassion Projects, uh, one in Guayaquil, uh, the port city there in Ecuador. And then we went from sea level to 9,000 elevation feet above uh, sea level in the Quito and uh, visited there. And the thing that I love about Compassion and what I saw is that Compassion works with local churches. And really, without the local church, they couldn't exist. Without the local church, they couldn't really be making impact. Most of the sites and the churches that were working together uh, were impacting 400-plus children. And when you think of 400 children, think of the parents, think of the extended family, and the reach of people that they were getting into their lives. And it's amazing what they were doing. All the programs are run by local people from the church. And I may have seen a picture that flashed by with people in blue shirts. There were all uh, people from that church that were helping with the program. And there's a couple of things. There's probably what you've heard of, what I was introduced to, was, was um, the monthly sponsorship. I sponsored a child... Uh, my wife and I did when we were first married uh, that was in Rwanda uh, and then uh, that child grew up and, uh, and then um, 
But anyway, you're probably familiar with that too, just a monthly sponsorship that provides uh, food, uh, helps with uh, vaccinations and health, and then also just with, because it's partnering with the local church, there's teaching there. And then um, the other program that you may not be familiar with is the Child Survival Program, and it helps uh, parents with children that are, are like three and under. And uh, because the mortality rate is so high in developing nations, uh, usually most children don't make it past the age two uh, because of simple things like uh, lack of clean water, uh, shelter, vaccinations. And so uh, while I was there, I got to visit uh, with a lady that was going around. She went and visited uh, 21 uh, mothers each week. She went out three times a week, visited with seven moms uh, those three days, and what she was doing was uh, really visiting with them and teaching them how to care for their children. You know, one of the crazy things is that there's uh, a lot of children who die from simple things like just not getting enough water. Uh, a mom sees her kid, uh, and uh, kid has diarrhea, and uh, the mom thinks intuitively, wow, there's a lot of water coming out of this kid. I've got to stop this kid up. And so what does she do? She stops giving water or any kind of liquids to the, to the infant. And we know in this country, because we've been educated that when someone has that, has diarrhea like that and, and fluids coming out, you need to put more fluids in. And so there are so many children that die because of this. And it's just a simple fact, simple information. And so they're teaching things like that. But then at the same time, these women who are going into these homes and meeting with these, these mothers, they're also discipling them in the midst of life. And uh, there's a great ministry going on. And uh, for $21 a month, you can help support the Child Survival Program. And these, a lot of these children go on and move on to be sponsored kids. There's also the LD pro, LDP Program, which is sponsoring children uh, to, be, uh, to go to college. And uh, it's, it's more expensive, of course. It's like $300 a month. But for $3,600 a year, a kid goes through college. I got to meet one of those kids in Guayaquil who just graduated and was a doctor and was back at that site to minister to the kids where she had once grown up at. And so these kids are returning. They're not all getting an education and heading to the States to make a quick buck. A lot of them are staying in their home country and turning around and giving back, which is amazing. I went down a dirt road to visit a little kid's house, uh, visit a kid named Jonathan, and in his, this little cinder block house, one room, four people lived, and there was two beds, and there was a dresser, and there was a kitchen, and there was a van seat, and we all went in, and we were telling stories, and little Jonathan was telling us stories, we were asking him questions, and one of the things that Jonathan did, we, we asked him about his sponsor, and Jonathan went to that one piece of furniture, that, that chest of drawers, opened it up, and pulled out a stack of letters that he had received from his sponsors, and he got, and he said, here, do you want to read them? And uh, we read, it was a teenager that sponsored this kid and uh, was helping him. And uh, it, he was so proud of his sponsor and so excited to tell us about his sponsor. And one of the things that we learned is that uh, Compassion has done some studies with kids and just saying that uh, the effects of poverty really affect the mind and the heart, not just the physical effects. And that the best thing that someone can do when someone is struggling with poverty and this powerlessness of not being able to supply their own needs is to share with them the love of the Father. Because here's what poverty does to a mind. And when they can't meet their needs, their mind and heart says, and a child's heart says, I must not matter. I might as well give up. And that's the thought, and that's the imprint that poverty leaves on a heart and mind. And what happens is, uh, in their studies, they found that asking one of these children 
asking them uh, when, a, when one of the nationals comes and talks with them, uh, someone, a local person in their town says, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Little kid will say, well, maybe something like this, but I know it's not really possible. But when you get someone who's outside of their neighborhood, outside of their country, who comes to them and says, what do you want to be when you grow up? That kid lights up and says, you know what I want to be? I want to be president of the nation. I want to be a physicist. I want to win a Nobel Peace Prize. And, and they say all these big things. And they saw the significance of someone from outside believing and having hope in them. And it makes a difference. It makes a difference. And we saw it over and over, heard the testimonies over and over of students and children, their lives are being changed. And while I was there, I, I got to visit a sponsored uh, kid that, I'm, that me and my wife had just begun to sponsor. His name is Kevin, and I got to visit with him, and that was a wonderful time. In the future, what's going to be happening with Highland, I'll tell you this, in, with our missions and what we do, that, that we have prior, prior, priorities with our missions. And first is that we, have a, we seek to really help the next generations. Second is that we help to seek new churches started. Third, we, we go to major cities in the world. And then from there on out, the, the priorities come in different ways. But our priority when it comes to missions is children. So as a church, and, and what's going to be offered here as far as compassionate children, they're all going to be children from Ecuador. And we hope that in the future that we'll be able to go as a church down to Ecuador, uh, not only help with uh, work on one of the sites, but you'll be able to visit children that you're sponsoring. So in the next few weeks, uh, I'd like you to really consider thinking about sponsoring a child through compassion, if you haven't already. And if you are already, I continue to keep on doing it and making a difference. And make sure you write your kid. Write them. And, uh, and May 16th, I'm going to be asking you to sign your name on the dotted line. I would like just to ask, hey, would you please sign your name on the dotted line, sponsor a child. So um, those are some things that are going to be happening. Now you might ask, why compassion? Why am I talking about this right now, talking about children? Well, uh, compassion and talking with Wes and talking with the staff, in their heart of hearts, they want to change the world. And they believe that they can change the world. And right now, uh, Compassion is around 40 years old, and they're starting to see these kids that have graduated from their programs, graduated from colleges. They're back in their, in their communities, in their cities, and they're now getting into positions of leadership and influence, and they're making a difference. And they believe that it's not going to be long when there's going to be children, Compassion children, that are going to be making choices that influence nations, and they're going to influence the world. So, and I believe you know, that change youth, you can change the world. But I believe to change youth, that we're going to raise up a generation of youth that know how to trust God. And so I believe that we got to start young. And that's why I'm talking about compassion. And that's why we're talking about children for the next five weeks. I want to show you some things from the scriptures. And it's just real simple. And it's just about this idea that God has for us and how we're supposed to impress things upon children. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'll read this here. Attention, Israel. God, our God, God, the one and only. Love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you got. Write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you. And then get them inside of your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands and foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your homes and on your city gates. 
This was what God intended when he talked about discipleship. And this is really the kind of thing that Jesus also uh, modeled in his ministry with his disciples. He had his disciples come with him wherever he went. They ate together. They walked together. They traveled together. They did everything together. And he impressed upon them, those 12, 72, those disciples. Let me read to you this and just what happens when we don't impress the love of God, impress upon children and the next generation and pass on the baton of faith and leadership. Something can change in just three generations. Listen to this. After Joshua, this is from Judges chapter two. After Joshua had dismissed them, the people of Israel went off to claim their allotted territories and take possession of the land. The people worshiped God throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the time of the leaders who survived them. So so Joshua was the first generation. The leaders who survived them, the second generation. Those leaders were probably the, the, that second generation, saw the miracles that their parents went through with God in the desert. But then, listen to this. Then Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of God, died. He was 110 years old. They buried him in this located place. Eventually, that entire generation, the second generation, died and was buried. Then another generation grew up, third one, that didn't know anything of God or the work he had done for Israel. You know, last night I was listening on TV. Uh, there were some Christians talking on some political show, and they were talking kind of wah, wah, wah. Why is, why is the Western world persecuting or not letting Christians have a voice and not letting us pray or that kind of thing? And, and um, they gave some answers that, yeah, probably right. But the answer that I didn't hear was, well, because there's a whole doggone generation that doesn't know the Lord. This is totally foreign to them. There's a whole generation that knows nothing about the Lord now. And they're the ones who are running the nation. They're the ones who are writing the papers. They're the ones who control the media. And whose fault is that? It's the church. If anybody needs to be sorry, if anybody needs to repent, it's the church because we haven't done our job telling the next generation. I tell you, it can happen in just three generations where one grows up and they know nothing of the Lord. Let me tell you again how, what God intended, what he hoped that he would see in families. It's in Psalm 78. Listen, dear friends, to God's truth. Bend your ears to what I tell you. I'm chewing on the morsel of a proverb. I'll let you in on the sweet old truth. Stories we heard from our fathers. Counsel we learned at our mother's knee. We're not keeping this to ourselves. We're passing it along to the next generation. God's fame and fortune. The marvelous things he has done. He planted a witness in Jacob, set his word firmly in Israel, then commanded our parents to teach it to their children so that the next generation would know and all the generations to come know the truth and tell the story so their children can trust in God. Tell the story while they're sitting at your knee. Fathers, I can can remember my grandfather. He was the one storyteller in my family. I loved hearing the stories even though he repeated them over and over and over. I love to hear it. I know some of you, you feel like you're you're real ignorant about the word of God. Like, how am I supposed to teach all the commands to my children? I, I barely know them myself. You know what? Matthew 28 where it says, therefore go into all the nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teach them all that I have commanded you. I don't think that meant teach them every single thing that I taught you. What he meant was teach them to obey everything I command. 
know what you're supposed to teach your children? How to obey Jesus. Are you modeling that in your life? Are you modeling obedience to Jesus? How's that looking to the next generation around you? You know, you don't need to know everything in the Bible. You know what? You just need to pass on the story, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, about the king who's come to wake our hearts up and make us alive, takes our sin-dead lives and makes them alive in Christ. He did it all on his own, no, no, no help from us. It's a gift right from the start. You just gotta be able to tell that story, that one main story, and tell it over and over in as many ways as you can. There's other good stories in here. And I know as you grow and you walk with the Lord, you'll learn them. But I want to encourage you, be the storytellers. Be the one who passes them on. Well, I've heard a lot about big ideas and thinking big, but since October 23rd, 2006, after a, a real special time of prayer for me, I've really begun thinking about the small things and meditating on the small things. You know, uh, Jesus, when he described the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, he described it through small things, like a, a little grain of yeast. He talked about it in the terms of a grain of salt. He talked about the kingdom of God as, as a, the smallest of seeds that grows into the largest of trees in the garden. Jesus also said that we would not enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, unless we changed and became like small children. Small is important. So thinking small is, is a big deal. And because there are some things too small to ignore, like the kingdom of heaven and like the children around us, I believe this topic is important to every person here today. So I want to remind you that if you're single or without children, so is Jesus. Yet he was fiercely protective of children and he invested in them all the time. We're going to take some time to talk about children at risk. We're going to talk about those in our world who have their survival threatened by lack of, of the basic necessities. But I'd like first to remind you of the children that are closest to us, those who are right in front of you. Wes Stafford, the, the president of, of, of Compassion, who grew up in Africa watching many of his little young buddies uh, die from the effects of poverty all around him, he really impressed upon me the effect of a poverty on a heart. And I, I realized that uh, some of that was, existed in my life, too. Um, I grew up with a single mom. There are times when uh, the covers were bare and weren't sure where things were coming from next. And it wasn't severe like a child in, in Africa or in, in South America or some other developing nation. But I recognized that some of those things, that, that fatalism was slipping in, has slipped into my thinking. That, that fatalism that says, eh, maybe I really don't matter. I just give up. Just give up. And I, I, I know that that sort of thing impoverishes people right here in Asheville. It impacts people here. And I know that one of the best ways that we can challenge that is introduce people and young people and children to the love of a father, of a father who says, you matter to me. I love you. I care for you. The love of God can awaken a heart and can remove move that glazed look from a child's eyes and restore hope into their eyes and into their life to a child who's felt like they've been ignored by the world. But you know, the, the crazy thing that 
you know, poverty is not just material things. It's, it's poverty of love and poverty of, of nurturing, which affects children right here in our city. And that poverty of those intangible things of love and nurturing leaves that same effects upon the mind. I don't matter. I might as well give up. And we see it reflected in the number of children that we see in need of foster care. We see it reflected in the number of children who have no one to look after them. We see it in the number of young people who commit suicide. We live in a world where there is a system at work trying to deplete instead of nurture, trying to take away instead of give, trying to tear down instead of build up. That is the world system. Jesus told us about that. It shouldn't be a surprise. Didn't Jesus say that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy? Yeah. Well, let me just remind you, take a moment to remind you what it's like to be small and growing up in a big world that's out to kill, steal, and destroy. Just remember, a child from infancy to three years old will know whether or not they're really loved and they'll then act out accordingly. There's even medical records of children who don't receive physical touch, babies, infants who are just born, and if they don't receive physical touch, they they start getting the, um, uh, I can't remember the acronym, but they they just don't thrive. They, They don't grow. And if they don't receive touch, they will die. From four years old to first grade, a child will know whether they can ask for what they need and receive it, or whether they're going to be ignored. They will try to find ways to not be ignored. By second grade, a child's basic character is formed. It's not to say that it can't be shaped afterwards, mine was, but whatever notions of what is good or what is harmful, whatever is right and whatever is wrong, have been formed by the time they reach second grade. Third grade is when kids learn how to be mean. I don't know if you remember that far back. That's when everybody learns the cut downs and the jokes. They've been seeing and hearing what their parents say. They've been watching the movies and the television and what their their older brothers and sisters are saying. And it's the time when little kids begin to mimic all that they hear and spit it back out at their friends. Fourth grade, kids know their parents' secrets by now. They probably know where your stash is and they've seen you use it. If you've got porn hidden, they've seen you viewing it, and they're probably viewing it themselves right now. Wherever you stand spiritually, they will unconsciously begin to stand there also. Fourth grade. Fifth grade to eighth grade. Kids, they're starting to fall asleep now, or they're starting to come awake. Kids will now be choosing to to buy into the world system, or they're going to reject the world system. And at this point, if you have kids... They're, they aren't going to do. They aren't going to do what you say. They're just going to do as you do. Kids will begin to lift their eyes and look ahead to the future, or kids will avert their eyes and begin losing hope. You seen that kid that won't look up at you, who looks down at the floor and tries to walk by and hope that he isn't noticed? It's a kid who's given up hope. Ninth through twelfth grade. Those young adults who are still treated like children in our American society will begin to pursue or they'll begin to escape one or the other. Some will pursue desires and dreams, whether those desires are good or bad, and whether those dreams are good or bad. Others who don't have much hope will escape. They'll escape to whatever helps them forget, whatever helps them go numb, whatever helps distract them. Pursue or escape. 
you know, what I've just described to you is just an assessment from my life and my generation, kind of a sociological kind of view. The world that today's children live in is probably much more aggressive than what I described to you. But what happens when you put an adult or several adults in a child's life that instead of ignoring the kids around them, they're committed to noticing and nurturing kids? What happens? Well, what happens when a kid hears something hopeful or about how they really matter to their loving father in heaven? Any point along that continuum of growing up, you can make a difference in a kid's life where instead of taking a wrong turn, they take a right turn at any moment. It's never too late for Christ to enter the story and Christ's love to make a difference. It is never too late. My life changed direction between my eighth grade and freshman year because of some adults that noticed a small, insignificant punk kid. I'll tell you where I was coming from. When I was five, four, five, six years old, my parents were going through a divorce. And uh, at that point, I was the kid trying to find ways not to be ignored. I, I, there was a chair I used to sit in. And when, I, and when that ignoring was going on, kick that wall. There's a little dirty spot there. And I remember one day kicking that wall and I kicked a hole in it. I was like, ah! And that's when I ran and hid. I definitely got attention, but it wasn't the attention I wanted. I remember after hearing about my parents' divorce and then tell, sitting down talking with my sister and I, who, again, five years old, um, I was so angry, so angry. Um, I, I threatened, here's what I did as a five years old. Can you imagine a five-year-old doing this, threatening to kill myself? I threatened to go grab uh, my dad's hunting rifle and try to shoot myself. It was kind of like one of those things, I'm gonna, you know, stop me, and that kind of thing. But really, a five-year-old thinking that. You know, and I hear these ridiculous studies in our world and universities going on saying, wow, we just realized that divorce affects children. I'm like, you had to do a study, you had to spend $2.5 million to figure that out? Where is your head? Man, why don't you just talk to people? (laughs) In second grade, character of right and wrong was being formed in me. I was testing all the boundaries I remember lying to my mother. I remember stealing from the local grocery store. Third grade and fourth grade, I was a kid who was the butt of all the jokes and becoming pretty angry about it. And if you know anything about when people are teasing you, it doesn't help to get angry. Uh, It makes things worse. You You make the target even bigger on yourself. And uh, at that point, my mother, who had been emotionally absent, was starting to find help through a local church. And she was taking my sister and I there every time the doors were open. But I was unconsciously taking up my father's spiritual stance. Church? Yeah, whatever. All right, I'll play along. Fifth through eighth grade, I bought into the system. And uh, the way I figured out how to make it in the system was do whatever it takes to make people laugh. And so I was the loud mouth fool and just trying to do anything to get a laugh. And I was running around with all the neighborhood kids who didn't have parents either and throwing snowballs at passing cop cars, sneaking out at night to cause trouble. And uh, during all that time, during all that time, I never had a teacher or an adult outside of my, my family, my immediate family, who ever showed any concern for my life. But let me tell you, about that turning point, that eighth grade to freshman year. I can tell you about five adults that took notice and let me know that I mattered. And they made a difference in my life. Four of them being people from a church 
Uh, one of them, uh, I don't know whether they knew the Lord or not. Uh, but before I left middle school to high school, there was an older man in that church that noticed me and my sister and my struggling single mother. And he invited us to, to go up in his uh, little single engine plane, took us on a flight. And I, I remember thinking that was the coolest thing, be able to grab that control stick and make that plane bump, bounce up and down and scare everybody in the plane. That was great. And, uh, you know, he was probably the first person outside my family to ask me the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? What about a pilot? There was a teacher in my school who told me I had talent in a certain area. And uh, she found out that I hadn't signed up for any uh, classes in high school that would help develop that talent. And I never knew that I was particularly great at anything and, uh, until that teacher took time to talk with me after school, just for four minutes. And after all these years, I still remember the look on her face. I remember the quiver in her voice. I remember tears and her trying to let me know that she was very concerned about my life and where I was going. Then my freshman year, an older lady at my church took notice of me, and she asked me to be a part of a group that read God's word every day and got together to share what their favorite reading was once a week. And uh, she was really persistent with me. I I didn't quite understand the significance of reading the Bible, uh, but the thing that was communicated to me was that she cared. And that's what got me there. And that's what got me starting to read God's word. I actually did it. I actually started reading it every day. And that was the turning point in my life. God broke through my stone cold heart with his word. And it was then, there in my room, all by myself, it wasn't at an evangelistic rally, it wasn't at church, it wasn't from a youth pastor in a youth room, but right there, God broke through my heart and he let me know that I mattered, that he cared for my life, that he cared so much that he died on the cross for me and he came and he woke me up and made me alive on the inside. And it was then I began following Christ. I've been pursuing him and I got on a new path, a totally different path than I had been on. And there was a a younger man who volunteered with that youth group. And he was always making sure that I was included in some of those activities that happened with the youth group, maybe after or before. And he always encouraged me to keep pursuing Christ down that new path. There was another lady who volunteered and hung out with young people. And she encouraged me to memorize the word of God. She had a verse every week. And she would come and check up on me and say, hey, let's hear it. And she made sure that I had it word for word perfect. And that I was able to say the, the, the book and the numbers after it. And she'd get on me if I didn't have it. But you know what that said to me? I mattered. That she cared. She cared enough to get on me and chase me down and find me. There was another man. Uh, uh, I didn't know him as well. He came uh, from time to time. But I'll just mention this since he's coming next week. But Tommy Oaks showed up. He was a, he was a great storyteller. And I was enraptured by everything he said and I, I joked with him and talked with him, me and my friends. But I remember uh, being a, a junior sitting on the floor of the youth room. And, and he pointed to me and another friend of mine and said, you guys, I think you have the call of God on your life. I think you need to investigate that, find out. And I remember, what did he see? I remember asking, what did he see in me? I don't know. I don't know, but I did. I investigated that. Guess what? The call of God is on my life. did find that out. Well, you know, I say God used these adults to help change the course of my life. You know, what would have happened if there wouldn't have been these adults, these people speaking hope into my life? I don't know. I don't know. It's hard for anyone to say what might have happened. But I can tell you what happened to the friends that I was running with. I can tell you what happened with their lives. I'll tell you about my my neighbor that I'd sometimes run around with. Uh, he He was 
token on this a little too much. And he killed a lot of brain cells up here. Couldn't even get into the military. They rejected him. Uh, he, one, one of the other guys I ran with got his girlfriend pregnant and then started selling drugs to make money. My best friend was charged with manslaughter. Another guy in my neighborhood accidentally shot himself while he was trying to hide a pistol underneath the seat of the car when a cop had pulled him over. I'm thankful God rescued me from that kind of path. And I'm thankful that a handful of adults took time to notice me. I really am. And there was a certain point in my life that I decided to invest in the next generation, not just with my spare time, but also with my career. And I've had the privilege of knowing a lot of young people, being able to help in ways that a lot of other people haven't been able to. I've also made a life pursuit in my life. I have a heart for young people. Just because I'm a a lead pastor in a church doesn't mean that I've forgotten my heart for young people. But my theme verse for my life is still Psalm 7118. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. I want you to know that, that each of the adults that God used to influence my life were not pastors. They were not full time youth workers who got paid. They were regular people with regular jobs who took some of their valuable spare time to give it away to a kid. They dug down deep and they found some encouraging words to splash on some young people. And it made a difference. It made a difference. I'm telling you that, that little sleeping ugly story, it's more real than you think. It really is. It really is. Look, just what I shared with you is an old story. (laughs) You know, I'm 40 years old. That happened in the 80s. So my story is, is pretty mild compared to others of my generation. It's, and today, you know, it's pretty obvious as nearly 80% of my generation has no connection with church. They've rejected it. They've pushed it away, which means the majority of that 80% don't have any connection with Jesus. A church in America practically has lost a generation. It's lost a whole generation You know what, today we've got to start encouraging kids way before middle school. We need to be noticing the littlest ones and fortifying them with the love of our Heavenly Father. And we can't afford to ignore the small ones or we're gonna lose another generation. We can't do that. Can't do that. Not on our watch. Not here. Not in this place. Not in this city. We're gonna do something different. So moms and dads, I know I know that it's a struggle. It takes a little more effort when you got your kid with you here in the gathering, when they're sitting at your knee. Remember Psalm 78? Tell them the stories while they're at your mother's knee. Fathers, share the stories. I know it's more effort, but it makes a difference. These kids growing up here on this floor with you, hearing what you're hearing, you're able to reinforce it wherever you go when it comes up in life. I know that there's a lot of, lot of teens that feel like they've been disenfranchised from the church because they've been pushed off to some little room somewhere else. They have their own specialized pastor who does their own thing with them, their own events. And then there's big church. Big church. Well, I don't really like big church because big church isn't for me. I want you to know this church is for you. This is your church. Own it. Everything we do is designed with you in mind. 
We think about some of those older folks sometimes too, but I want you to know that we're doing things differently for a reason. It's just not helter-skelter around here. There's a purpose behind what we're doing. There's a lot of people I know who agree that, that children are important, and that they're, a, they're great treasures in small packages. But I want to ask you, I want to ask some of you older folk here, and some of you teenagers too, you can get on this too. When's the last time you asked a child, a little one, what they wanted to be when they grew up? When they grew up? When's the last time you spoke an encouraging word to a little kid? When's the last time you even spoke to a child? Or are you that removed? You know, what would happen if you shared with a child a verse like Jeremiah 29, 11? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. What would happen if someone said to a young person, said, God so loved Hannah that he gave his one and only son for you, that if you, that if you, Jacob, believe in him, you'll not perish, but have eternal life. Guys, we can make a difference in, the peop- in these young people's lives around us. I want each of us, each generation, looking over your shoulder to the generation behind you saying, how can I help you in the next step in your spiritual journey? Each of us have got to be asking that. The next few moments, I'm going to have Nate and the band come up here. They're going to lead us in some worship. We're going to continue into a time of communion. But today, I I just want to tell you as a church leader why we're choosing to focus on children. Next week, I want to show you some scriptures where Jesus spoke about children, show how he felt about children, how he acted towards children. And the reason we're doing this isn't because we're wanting to jump on some, you know, American bandwagon of worshiping children, but because we desire children of these coming generations to worship Jesus. That's what we desire. So I know that Jesus, he spoke of the kingdom and said that if we did not become like small children, we wouldn't enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, how does a child think? How does a child act? What does a child say and do? Maybe we need to get to know children a little better. Maybe we discover some secrets to the kingdom. As you come and approach communion, I approach you, I hope and pray that you'll approach it like a child. Come into Jesus, your older brother in the faith who through him God the Father adopted you into his family to bring you in, bring you close, to make an outsider into an insider, those of us who are once on the fringe, to bring us to the center, to no longer be strangers or outsiders. Jesus did that through the cross. So there's gonna be some people around the perimeter of the room holding a goblet with juice that represents Christ's blood, a plate that has bread that represents Christ's body, when you participate this, in this, you take that bread, dip it in the juice, take and eat it. As we do this, Jesus asked us to remember him, remember what he did, to remember his sacrifice on the cross. We do this once a week, not because we think by taking these elements that it saves us. We take it because it reminds us of a savior who saves us. And that we need to be reminded that we're needy, just like children. So the next few moments as the band plays the song, 
You can get up at any time and go to around the primitive room and take communion, participate. This isn't about belonging to this church. It's about belonging to Jesus. So anyone is welcome to take this. If you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is a proclamation of that. So pray with me right now. Heavenly Father, we in this moment come to meet with you in communion to enter in to this together as a community, as your body, and to say that we remember to come as little children, saying that we're needy. We can't do it without you, Father. Thank you for your sacrifice. We know it was costly, but thank you for loving us and bringing us into your family. In Jesus' name.